Welcome to another inspiring podcast from C3 New Hope. For more information about our church and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au. So we're going to kick off our next week in our series that we're doing called TikTok. TikTok. It's a weird name. But we're going to talk today about eliminating hurry out of your life. Eliminating hurry out of your life. We live in a society that is in a hurry. Everything is busy. Everything is crazy. Everything is go, 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 go. But uh, when you look at the life of Jesus, you don't seem to see that. You don't see Jesus stressing because he hasn't gotten somewhere on time. Like even when his friend Lazarus dies, he kind of just decides to hang around for three days. So that... um, you know, for whatever reason, it doesn't tell us why. He just does. He takes his time. And uh, we've got to trust that when we learn to walk these uh, rhythms, unforced rhythms of grace, as the message version calls it, and I'll read that scripture in a minute, but when we learn to walk as Jesus walked, when we learn to follow Jesus the way he's calling us to follow him, then you've got to understand that it'll all work out for good. You don't need to place hurry in your world and be striving and, and, and using more effort than needed, somehow thinking that that's going to make you more successful, more productive and, and more, uh, I guess, uh, recognisable in the world. Uh, you know, the kingdom of God is very much um, the other side of the coin when it comes to uh, the world. God does, tends to do things very differently than the world does things. He tends to have us, uh, he tends to do things in a way that is contrary to the world. And so when we see a world that is crazy busy, when we see a world that is crazy, crazy all the time, we have to understand that is not what heaven is like. That is not the environment of heaven. When Jesus said, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the things you would not see in that transaction that is is an overwhelming hurry that is uh, or sense of urgency that we have to achieve things in our life. That Jesus never had that sense of urgency in his world when it came to achieving goals. He, 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 he walked a journey and along the way he achieved and done things that God asked him to do. But he never ever rushed from here to there to over there. He never busied himself so much that, uh, that he was left worn out from that. He did find himself worn out sometimes and he would withdraw to, uh, you know, to the mountain or to an isolated or, or a place of solitude to seek the Lord. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks about what silence and solitude can do for your soul and how God uses that to help us. But today we're going to talk about hurry. So let me ask you this question, this question, why the hurry? What's the hurry? You know, this week I was driving uh, Zeke to, to his boss's house for, his, for work and uh, we got in the car and we're driving along and this is like a, you know, quarter to six, six in the morning and uh, we're driving down towards his boss's house down here at Glenmore, uh, uh, Glenbrook and this guy gets behind me, just, just up around the corner here, this guy gets up behind me and it's like pitch dark and this guy gets behind me and he starts driving right up behind me. So I'm doing the speed limit of 50 kilometres and he's like, I mean, literally right behind me. And, and, and then like I look in the revision mirror and he's swerving. He's going like this and he's trying, and he's, he's trying to get my attention. And then because I just kept 
driving at the speed limit, he starts yelling out his window at me and trying, swerving and trying. And, and I'm thinking, what is this turkey doing? I, I don't understand what's going on here. Like, and then it, then it dawned on me because I've been thinking about this message and I thought, this guy's in a hurry. And I thought, I bet you he's probably late for work. I was thinking he's got to be late for work or late for picking his boss up or something crazy like that. He got out of bed late and he was running late to work. That must be why he's doing it. That must be why he's going to, you know, cause an accident. That must be why, because, because what he's hurrying and he's trying to make me hurry because he's in a hurry. He's trying to force his anxiety, his worry onto me to make me take his burden on, which had nothing to do with me and everything to do with his inability to get out of bed on time, to get to work on time. And so, you know, it was actually quite an eye-opener to me. I was actually glad when he turned the corner and took off. I eventually pulled over when I could and he took her off and went around. But... um. But he was driving like an absolute lunatic and I'm thinking, what are you yelling out your window at me for? Maybe he wanted to have a chat. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. So what was this guy's deal? Like I said, some of us might say, well, you know, he was late for work so he had a justification to uh, act or behave a certain way because of that. He quickened himself to make sure that he got it to work on time because he would have got in trouble off his boss if he didn't. So, so somehow that's a justification to break all the road rules because he got out of bed late. My question is more that, well, why was he late? Why did he get out of bed late? Why did he think that that, should, that is a good way to behave and a good way to live his life? Why did he take the risks that he took that could have caused... Terrible problems for people if, if an accident had happened. He could have even killed himself or he could have killed myself or my son. He could have killed somebody if it, he was just fortunate enough that that didn't happen. But, but I think sometimes in life we have to dig a little deeper. See, we can't think, you know, when, we, when I heard about this series coming up and Pastor Dan has shared it, I thought, and I was thinking about this message, and I thought, you know, we, we, I could stand here and I could tell you all the things that you shouldn't do. Adjust your life, change your behaviours and change the hurry in your life. And, and, and your life, you know, you'll be better for it. And it's true. If we change the behaviours, we'll be better for it. But a better question than, you know, looking just at behaviour, a better thing than just looking at behaviour is actually looking a little deeper and looking at why we behave the way we behave. And until we understand why we always feel so pressured, why we always feel so hurried, why do we always allow that to happen in our life? We can't think just changing a behaviour will, will transform our life because often it doesn't. So I knew a guy that had a, a pornography addiction, right, many years ago and I was trying to help him through it. And he was uh, really, really good at changing his behaviour. I mean, I would talk to him and he'd confess and we would pray and he would repent and, and then he would, he would change his behaviour and no longer look at that thing for a little while. Because the reality was he was changing his behaviour and he would go months and months and months without falling off the wagon, if you like, and then all of a sudden he would fall back in that hole. And so then we would go through the same process again. He would meet with me, we would talk about it, we would pray about it, and then he would go back. And, and, but he was, the issue with his world was not, it was the fact that he thought all he had to really do was change a behaviour. Just change what he was doing. Just stop that 
out of his own effort, out of his own strength, out of his own ability, and uh, and it would it would all be okay. But what we what he started to realize after I would say some time, mind you, was that he didn't have what it took to get himself free from it. A lot of what he was doing was lip service to Jesus. He knew what to say. He knew how to behave. But the reality was there was no underlying deeper transformation of his soul that actually dealt with the reason why he went to pornography in the first place. And so we can find those things happening in our life, right? That, that we can have certain behaviours, it might not be pornography, it might be, but there's certain behaviours that take place in our life that we've tried to change time and time again. Maybe some of us, we gossip. Maybe we talk about people we know we shouldn't and, and we discipline ourselves to try and stop it. But self-discipline in that manner, it lacks power when you're using your own strength to try and transform something. Because we don't have the power within us to bring the transformation. We are powerless to bring that transformation without Jesus in our life. We can't change those behaviours forever if, if it's not Jesus that is fueling the power for that transformation in our life. If it's only our self-discipline and our, our, our stubborn will and our stubborn will to not do it, eventually you're going to find that you're going to fall off and do it again. Because there is no transformation outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all about self-control without the power of the Holy Spirit which is you're destined for failure if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in your world. So in uh, Matthew 11, and Pastor Dan read this um, in uh, Church at Home devotion on the weekend, uh, last weekend, it says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to make real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. I think there's a real pivotal word in this scripture and it's me. Not me, but him, me. Jesus is talking about himself, saying, come to me, come to him. He says, get away with me, right? And you'll recover your life and I'll show you, I will show you. And walk with me, work with me and watch how I do it. Now, this is Jesus talking, right? This is not me talking. Don't follow me, you'll fall over in a hole pretty quick. Um, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So there's a real um, direct connection here to a life that is living in the place of an unforced rhythm of grace that Jesus is talking about and the connection with him. Without Jesus, everything is forced, right? We have to work hard to achieve anything in life if we, have, if we don't have Jesus in our life. But if we have Jesus, then, and we understand how 
He works through us and we understand that it's not about human effort, but it's about the power of the Holy Spirit working through us to do what God has asked us to do. So it's, I could talk to you about changing behaviours, but that's not going to help you. We've got to go deeper. We've got to learn to excavate our soul. And the only way you can excavate your soul is by asking yourself the right questions. So when I have a behaviour, it's not about going, oh, I hate that behaviour, I want to change it. The question becomes, why do I have that behaviour in the first place? Why do I act a certain way in the first place? Why do I respond to that person that way in the first place? Why is it when my spouse says this, I react like this every time? Why is it when I interact with that person, it does something inside of me? What is that thing that happens? Why do I, why do I go to hurry? Why am I in such a hurry in my life? What is the cause of the hurry in the first place. That's what we need to discover. That's what we need to look at. Because if we don't look at that, then all you're going to leave here with is a, me- a message on stop hurrying and stop rushing and, uh, and, and then you'll go out and you'll try to stop it. But within a, probably 24 hours, you'll be the guy behind me driving like a maniac yelling at me because you're late to work. Here's a way of telling whether you have a problem with hurry or not. Just get behind a slow driver. Seriously? I was the slow driver the other morning, right? But I've been not quite as bad as that guy, but I've been that guy. And I'm sure we probably all have been that guy, right? We're we're, we're in a hurry, you just want to get there. I get really impatient with people that just will not do the speed limit. I hate it. Whether it's 50Ks or if it's 110Ks on the freeway, I hate it when I get behind someone that's doing 105Ks. It just stresses me out. I'm like, do you not want to get there on time? And then I, this, this message is more for me than anybody in the room because, because I get so impatient. But then when I stop and think about it and think, well, why am I hurrying in the first place? Then I realise, well, actually, I don't need to be at that place at a certain time. I don't actually, I'm only going down the shop to get a carton of milk and a loaf of bread. Like, <laughs> right? But yet, for some reason, this thing kicks in and it's like, well, why am I like that in the first place? Why am I living my life in such a way that is so chaotic, so just ridiculously stressful, but the reality is most of the time, it doesn't matter. I actually don't need to be that brushed. I don't need to be that hurried. So there's something going on deeper inside of us which we need to learn to excavate our soul. So changing behaviour won't change an underlying problem. It may just keep you out of trouble, but it won't. So what we're really talking about here is not behavioural change, but spiritual formation. Okay? We're talking about learning from Jesus and how to be spiritually formed the way he wants us to be formed. This is what really, uh, this is what, discipleship really is. Discipleship, a good discipler of people will help people become spiritually formed into the likeness of Christ, which means they will help somebody learn these unforced rhythms of grace, things like prayer and worship and Bible reading and uh, 
you know, uh, connection and relationship with God, not just a religious response to God of guilt having to pray, but actually praying because I have a relationship with Him. Things like learning what silence and solitude in, and, and what does that mean and how does that work? Because Jesus would regularly withdraw to a solitary, solitary place. I'm trying to get that word out. And so why would He do that? Why would He withdraw Himself? Now, we're not talking about isolation. Isolation is from the devil right? He will isolate you to try and overcome you, to pull you out of community, out of, the, out of your, your, your faith community, out of that, the church so that he can isolate you because he knows, just like the Bible says, if the hand falls off the body or it's, it's immediately as soon as the hand leaves the body, it starts to decay, right? The Bible talks about the body parts and, you know, and, if, and the decay of something that, is, that, is, that, that comes off. If I cut my hand off and I put it over there, it's going to rot and it's going to die. Um, this, the arm might not, but the hand is definitely going to, unless it's reattached. So, so we, see, we see this idea of spiritual formation, which is from silence and solitude. That's something I'm going to be actually sharing in a few weeks in our Church at Home devotion, the importance. I did a silence and solitude retreat the end of last year. It's quite interesting, never done anything like that before. So I'll probably share a little bit around that, but we're not talking about that today. So um, in Psalm, uh, Psalm 17, 15, I was reading this this week and it really spoke to my heart. As for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. I love that last just that last part of the verse, I will be satisfied, when I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. What brings satisfaction into our lives? See, we've got to talk about this deeper idea of like, you know, I was thinking about this. What is the goal of being a follower of Jesus? I've heard so many answers to that question over the years, but what is the real goal of being a follower of Jesus? What's the goal? Is it to win lost souls? I think it's part of it. Is it to turn up to church every week? Is it to, you know, read your Bible every day? Is it to pray? And is it, I think all those things kind of contribute to what the goal is. They feed into the goal. But what's the goal? Anybody got any ideas? Be like Jesus, top of the class, to be like Jesus. At the end of the day, this is what David is saying in the psalm. I will be satisfied when I look in the mirror and what I see is more of you and less of me. That's going to satisfy my soul. But, but, but the only way I can do that only way I can become like Jesus is to follow him and do what Jesus did, which is very much a part of our new vision for our church, right? Know Jesus, follow Jesus, do what Jesus did. So Genesis one twenty six says God is creating, right? And he creates man. He goes, let us create mankind, all right, not man, but mankind, that's men and women, in our image, in the likeness of, in our likeness, he says. 
And we see here that David says, I'll be satisfied when I'm like him. And God says, well, I've created you to be like me. So then there's, a, there's this connection that takes place that the very purpose of our Christian faith, the very purpose of following Jesus is to become more and more like Him day in and day out. That this journey of spiritual formation takes place inside of us. That we, we don't just be, call ourselves Christian, right? Which is a blanket term for anyone that follows Jesus. But we call ourselves followers of Jesus. Another term that Pastor Dan used last week was to be an apprentice of Jesus, to be an apprentice. So an apprentice sits under somebody that is skillful and learns to do what they've done. So we're in an apprenticeship with Jesus Christ. So our job is to not just follow Jesus, right, and just be a Christian. I think that word is, to a degree, is just, it's such a broad term because you can be a Christian and not be in church. You can be a Christian and never fellowship with someone. You can be a Christian and you can follow Jesus, but not ever do anything for Him or ever achieve anything. You can be a Christian and never tell anybody, never show anybody, never witness to anybody, never pray for anybody. You could be a Christian and it's not that you won't go to heaven, but I don't think being a Christian is the end goal. I think the being a Christian was the beginning point, right? That we, we come to faith and that's the beginning of something, not the end of something. And maybe we as a church has been guilty to say to people, come up on an altar and receive Jesus Christ and, and be born again. And we do that really well. And people come and they give their life to Jesus. And, and, but, 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 but then it stops there for them. Why? Because we forgot to get them on a journey of spiritual formation to become disciples of Jesus and to learn those unforced rhythms of, of grace that Jesus has for us to walk in our life, to undo the hurry with the grace of Jesus. So what do you see in the mirror? Right, David said, I'll be happy to see, I'll be satisfied to see that I'm more like you, that I'm, my likeness is like you, Lord. What did he say? He said, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness in me. So it's like looking into a mirror. I remember seeing a, a Simpsons episode. I know it's very ungodly, the Simpsons, but Ned Flanders is there, right? And uh, he's, the, he's the only probably Christian in the, in the show and he's a bit of a whack job. But anyway, I just remember many, many years ago seeing a Simpsons episode where Homer Simpson gets out of bed he walks in in his undies into the, into, the, into the bathroom. The mirror's there. And he stands up and he starts flexing his muscles. Now, reality is Homer's fat and he's got no muscle tone. But when he looked in the mirror, he saw muscle man. He saw muscles. He saw six pack. He saw just a champion of champions in the mirror. And his own delusional thinking of himself, that's what he saw. So what do we see in the mirror when we look at ourselves? I could probably say we see our failings, our imperfections when we look at ourselves. Maybe more so for females in that zone um, because our society has conditioned you to think that an imperfection is a problem. You know, we go to a supermarket and the fruit is perfect, right? There's not a blemish on an apple. You go in there, it's amazing. But if you go to a vine, like a, an apple, what are they called, an orchard, and you pick your own apples, the fruits aren't perfect. They're out of shape. 
They're a little bit off. Imperfection is part of life. Imperfection is part of how God created us. I mean, like the things, I'm talking about the imperfection we don't like because we see that we've got a mark or, a, or we've got something about our face or our features we don't like, but God created you. And when He created you, He said, it is good. The creation of mankind, of mankind was a good thing. And God doesn't look at us and see the imperfections. He looks at us through Jesus and sees perfection because Jesus makes us perfect. So, But we look at ourselves and we see our mistakes, our imperfections, or we see our deluded perceptions of ourselves. We see ourselves more important than we should. We think we're better than what we are. We think we look better than what we are. You know, it's like the people that go to Australian Idol and they think they can sing until they get told they can't. And they storm out unhappy about the fact that they can't hear in their own head just how bad they sound to everybody else in that room. And they get a judge that tells them, you're terrible. You're going on the reel. I remember they used to show the reel of really bad singers and they'd storm out the room. You don't know what you're talking about. Here's a guy that's the judge that's been in the industry for 30 years, but he knows nothing because that person never had somebody tell them that they can't sing. I used to go to school with someone like that. I'm like, your mother is so cruel. She didn't tell you. You're not as good as you think you are. So ultimately what we see will mould our behaviour and how we live. What we believe about ourselves, what we've gone through, the traumas, the wounds, the pain, those things are what we see when we look at ourselves. Then that moulds us to behave and act in a certain way. And unless we deal with the pain and the trauma and the wounds that have happened in our life, we are ludicrous to think that by just changing a behaviour, somehow that's going to change our life. We can't do that without Jesus. You can't get free without Him. So in Luke 10.38, we see the story of Mary and Martha. How are we going? Mary and Martha. Let me take you there. That's not Mary and Martha. I have all these bookmarks, but they're just a pain sometimes. So in um, Luke 10.38, it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listening to what he had to say. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be done. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help. Martha, Martha, Jesus says. Always reminds me of the Brady Bunch this verse. Martha, Martha, Martha. It's Marsha, but Martha. The Lord said, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Who can, who can connect with that, right? I'm, I'm going berserk and crazy at home over many things because the kids are not doing this and that. That's not happening and someone didn't do that and someone didn't put the dishes in the washing machine. Oh, whatever, you know. If dishes go in the washing machine, I think clothes go in there. But anyway, every house is different. He says, you are worried and upset about many things. 
But few things are needed. Few things are needed. Or indeed only one, he says. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Isn't that interesting? Now, you understand the context of the time. Martha was doing what was expected of a woman in that culture at that time. If you had a guest come into your home, you had to make sure that you could provide for that guest, that there was food prepared for dinner, for supper, whatever, that there was someone there to help him wash his feet when he came in because that's what they used to do. They washed their feet as they came in. They wore sandals. They did lots of walking in those days. So, so understanding that Mar- Martha was doing what was expected of her to be done. She was living out of this place of this is what's expected of me. I must do what's needed. But what she didn't realise is that when Jesus comes into your environment, he doesn't need much. Actually, there's only one thing he really wants and needs, and that's you. He can make do with what's, what's going on in your world, but, but the one thing he really wants is you. If he can have you, and this is what he's saying to Martha. He's saying, Martha, you're worried. Why? Because fear and, 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 and the worry that you will not do the right thing or the worry that somebody might judge you because you didn't have it prepared when I turned up to your house or the worry that, that, that somehow because you haven't done all the tasks on the list by the end of the day that can't wait till tomorrow in your mind. You're so lost and worried and in fear. What are you in fear for, Martha? He says, you're in fear and you're upset. Why? Because you're offended against your sister. There's an offence that's taken place because she chose something that was better. Because the reality was when Jesus turned up, he didn't ask Martha to do that. What kicked her into gear was the traditions and the religious expectations that were on her as a woman to do what was expected of her. But Jesus never expected it. He would have been happy for Mary and Martha to sit at his feet and that was it. So Martha was driven by what was expected by other people's perception of her. She was distracted, worried, upset and offended by her sister. She was performance driven in her relationship with Jesus. And that is a dangerous place to be. If all you're ever trying to do is is to appease God's presence in your life because woe is me, I'm not holy enough. Woe is me, I don't pray enough. Woe is me, I don't read my Bible enough. Listen, if all you can do in your day is to come and sit at the feet of Jesus, that's enough. As you do that, you'll find you'll start to hunger after His Word. As you do that, you'll find there are some days in my life where all I can do is, is, is to go for a walk, sit on a cliff edge and just, just sit there with God and say, God, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray about today. I don't, I have, I don't know what, where to read this morning, even though I've got a Bible plan. But I know this, that if I will just stop and sit at your feet, then you will speak to me. Often to hear God's voice, it's not about doing more, it's about doing less. Elijah found himself in a cave doing nothing when God spoke to him. 
And God was not in the fire. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in any of that. He came as a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he stepped out into it and God spoke to him. Often to hear the voice of God, it's about slowing down and it's about stopping the chaos and moving away, going into a place of solitude and saying, God, I'm here, speak to me. If we're stuck in hurry, if we're stuck in rushing, we're going to find it hard to hear God's voice. It's very hard to hear God's voice on the run because we're busy. Well, we're so busy that I'll just pray as I'm going. But I'm not giving him the full attention that he deserves. I'm so busy, I don't have time to read my word. But I remember some scriptures. But we're not really going to hear from him if we're not going to give him the attention that he deserves. Sometimes we have to stop what we're doing and start listening. Sometimes we're so chaotic in our work. I get chaotic in my business sometimes. And, and I, but, but I find I get so busy that there's this thing of like, I can't stop and pray. I can't stop. And, 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 and so what I've been doing lately is, is I get up in the morning and I started this new Bible reading pro- thing. And it's purely just read certain parts of the Bible every day to get through it in a year. I love it. It's great. A friend of mine put me onto it. And it's just broken down into read these verses each day in different parts of the Bible to get you through the Bible in a year. But it's amazing. I sit down, I read that. Then I put on my shoes. I put on a hat and my sunnies. And I go for a walk down the road, about 15 minutes. There's this really nice lookout. No one's ever there that time of the day I go. I sit on the cliff and I just sit there with a coffee. I get a coffee on the way and I start to talk to God. So I actually pull myself away from the chaos, away from all the, and, and, and oh, but it's got to be done. Well, maybe it does need to be done. But, but life is about priorities, right? It's about what's, what's most important. And sometimes your business is not most important. You just think it is. Sometimes that client can actually wait just because they've tried to ring you 10 times because they want to get on to you to tell you something. Doesn't mean that they should get on to you in the, you know, at six o'clock on a Sunday night when you should be resting. You don't have to answer that phone. Society and the world will tell you that you should because busy, busy means, means success. But if you actually step back and go, hang on a minute, I, I need that rest. Jesus said, come to me and I'll show you how to really rest, real rest, not just fake rest where you think you're resting, but you're actually working in your mind. You, you haven't stopped. You haven't separated yourself. See, Mary had a sense of balance in her life. She valued a slower pace and was solely focused on Jesus. She was not lazy but valued relationship with Jesus over performance. And until you value that relationship with Jesus over hurry, you will never stop hurrying. Until we stop and go, something's not right in my life. And I can tell you sometimes when you say that, you start investigating, you dig a little deeper and you realise that your whole life is reacting out of stuff. I'm reacting to things all the time. Somebody does something, something happens, the phone rings, the kettle boils, this, that, whatever, the kids run amok, whatever it may be. 
but you're constantly reacting to that and you're not actually being proactive in anything and that's why you're busy because you've actually just allowed others to dictate the terms of your time and what you do. Jesus never, ever allowed others to dictate his time. He had a pace. He set the pace. And in his day, it was a walking pace. He did get on a donkey once or twice, I think. But, but generally, he walked everywhere he went. So he could not, he couldn't get up behind the, 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 the ute that I've got out there and yell at me through the window and swerve and whatever. Why? Because he wasn't in a car. In those days, you had to walk. You had a slower pace. There was a time when Sundays, shops were not open, right? You might get to the fish and chip shop or something like that, but you couldn't just go down the, 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 super, the, the shopping centre, hang out all day, have lunch and... No, you used to spend time at home with your family and you would rest. One mum would cook a baked meal every Sunday. When are you going to do that again? <laughs> Holy moly of slack since I've got older. See that? It's your turn now. See, she's passing her responsibility on to me. Trying to make me more busy. Retired. You've got nothing to do. She's earned it. She's worked all her life, but I won't mention that. (laughs) So Mary chose what is better and Jesus would not take it from her. What about your life? What about you? Are you sick of it? Most people you talk to, and I think the whole lockdown scenario with COVID was a big eye-opener, like, because it forced us to stop. Most of us anyway, not everyone, but most people were not going to work, we're not going out, generally were stuck at home for weeks and weeks and weeks and months. Don't you crave that again already? I know I do. I mean, like, as soon as things started opening up, busy started happening again. I'm like, whoa, the world's missed it. We've missed the point of what took place. I'm like, And we've got back to a place already where we're running at 100 miles an hour because we didn't take, we didn't get the message in that. And I know there's a whole lot of other stuff that was going on with it, but it just simply took the point that God allowed this space in our world for a season to stop. Too many people were twiddling their thumbs trying to figure out what they were going to do in a day instead of thanking God for the time and the space to, to, to be able to stop and, and not have to rush, 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 rush all the time. And I'm not saying it was great, it was perfect for everybody, that was, but there was some things in that, that time that were really, really good for us. Can you see a Martha in yourself or a Mary I would say we've got both. There's Martha's, there's a lot of Martha and sometimes a little bit, not much of Mary and sometimes it ebbs and flows. But what we want to see is more Mary in us than more Martha. As we learn to live like Mary lived, we'll start to see that life and our soul starts to become healthy. So let God help, help you excavate your soul and reveal the true problem or the underlying problem of why your life may be out of control. 
why certain things in your life may be out of control. So Jesus said, come to me. Jesus tells us to come to him. It's the only way to find freedom and rest is to come to him. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information about C3 New Hope and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au.